You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Woo! Man, that was incredible. Uh, that was so good. It's good to see you guys here today. And Merry Christmas. This is the week, right? Uh, man, I'm, I'm just blown away at how fast this season always approaches and excited to be able to celebrate with you this morning to kind of get our, our, our day started. Let's play a game. You guys in the mood to play a game? You awake enough? Anybody wanna play? Um, and so what you're gonna do is you're gonna answer some questions amongst the people around you, right? And so if you're an introvert, you don't have to play. Just sit there, it's fine. Uh, but the rest of us are gonna have a little fun. We're gonna test our, our Bible knowledge on the Christmas story real quick, okay? So let's do it together. Here's question number one. What does the Bible say that the innkeeper said to Mary and Joseph? Is it A, I have a stable that you can use. B, come back later and I should have some vacancies. C, there's no room in the end, or D, both A and C, or E, none of the above. Tell your neighbor what you think the answer is real quick. Just go ahead and whisper that. Just go ahead and do that. Let's see who's going to win. All right, here we go. The answer is none of the above. How many of you got it right? All right, good. You did it not too bad, not too bad. Now, don't say it out loud. Don't say the answer out loud. Just tell your neighbor. Okay, so here's number two. Which animals does the Bible say were present at Jesus' birth? Is it A, cow, sheep, and goats? B, cows, donkeys, goats? C, sheep and goats only? D, miscellaneous barnyard animals? Or E, none of the above? Don't Google it. Don't open your Bibles. Tell your neighbor what you think the answer is. Real quick, go ahead and just talk amongst yourself here. What do you think? What do you think? All right, you ready for the answer? Here we go. The answer is E, none of the above. How many of you guys got that one right? Let's see. Okay, more hands. You're starting to get the idea. Okay, this one's super easy, right? Number three, how many wise men came to see Jesus? This is easy, right? Three, six, nine, 12, or we don't know. Tell your neighbor right now real quick. Here we go. Let's see what you got. See what you got. You ready? Ready up there in the top? All right. The answer is we don't know. (laughs) How many of you got that one right? All right, good. You see, kind of the point is we watch so much TV, we've read the stories, we've, we've seen the books, we've seen the movies, that sometimes we kind of get confused as to what actually happened that night versus what the truth is and, and versus what we actually have read and, 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 and stories and movies that we've seen. And so we don't know how many wise men there actually were. We know that there was more than one because it's a plural form of the noun magi. Uh, we, we assume there was three because there were three gifts, but that there could have been many people, many wise men there uh, that day. And, and they didn't even come the day that Jesus was born. They came like two years after he was born. Uh, we don't know if Mary rode in on a donkey. We don't know um, if Joseph ever talked to any innkeepers. We don't know if there are any angels around Mary and Joseph. We know they, they appeared to the shepherds, but we don't know about Mary and Joseph We don't know if Jesus was born in a wooden stable or if he was born in a cave or if he was born out in the open. We don't even know when Jesus was born. At some point, the Roman Catholic Church just picked December 25th. And the reason they picked it is because the 25th of December, the days start to get longer. And there was also a pagan holiday that was celebrated on that day. And they thought, well, heck, let's take over the pagan holiday and just make it the 25th. And so it it, it worked. And they called it Christmas. and, And that meant Christ's Mass. And so uh, from a Protestant, we're we're Protestants, the Roman Catholic Church call the Lord's Supper or Communion Mass. And so it was Christ's 
mass. And so we, we could have changed it. It could have been like, hey, Mary, Christ, Lord's Supper. But that wouldn't sound very cool. So we just stuck with Christmas. And that's what we use today. And, and the point in the early season, in the early days of Christmas, uh, didn't have anything to do with trees. It didn't have anything to do with Santa Claus or, or cookies or uh, carols or lights or uh, family time. That doesn't have anything to do with that. It was about remembering that God sent his son to the earth and we remember by taking communion because when you realize why Jesus came, you realize he wasn't just born into the world to live a good life. He was born to actually live a mission and a purpose that I want us to talk about today. Because I think that there might be some people in the room that are a little confused about the Christmas story. You're a little confused about why Jesus even came. And for some people in the room, because of that confusion, because you've made some assumptions, because you don't quite know why or, or how it fits into life, it actually has prevented you from giving your life to Jesus. And so today I want us to look at Luke chapter two. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. And we're gonna see what actually happened that day. And we wanna pull from this story what it really truly means and how it can really impact our life today. So in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one, we're gonna read the first 14 verses here. It's gonna be on the TV if you didn't bring your Bible. Here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." And what a great, glorious scene here that I wanna unpack. Uh, one of the greatest parts of Christmas for me is really the Christmas music. So I'm a music guy, I love music. I don't sing or play any instruments, but I love music and I love Christmas music. And so for me, Michael Bublé has been like on the playlist since Thanksgiving, maybe even a few days before Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, some applause for that, wow, that's incredible. Um, I, love, I love that. I'm gonna go ahead and admit, Justin Bieber's got some good Christmas songs. I'm just saying, all right? And so you can go, you can Google that. Um, but my all-time favorite like, is like the Frank Sinatras and the Ben Crosbys. That, that, that to me is, is like the nostalgic, yeah, and uh, some very clappy people today, so that's great. <laughs> and, uh, and so 
Every Christmas morning at my house, I have this old Bing Crosby Christmas album, and I start playing it on my 1950s album uh, or record player that's really old, and it doesn't sound very good at all, but it just kind of has that rustic, kind of antique sound that I love and wakes the kids up. And so that, to me, brings the nostalgic feels of Christmas. But, but overall, the greatest Christmas music is the old Christmas hymns, like Away in the Major, Joy to the World. Those are the ones that I truly love. And out of all those, I think my favorite is Silent Night. And so I was listening to that, and we were thinking about this day and how we were gonna really talk about the Christmas story. And, and as I was thinking about that song, it starts out, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Now, when you think about what was actually happening on this day in verse in chapter two of Luke, you, would, you wouldn't typically, once you start diving into the details, think that it was a calm night, right? Mary is giving birth to Jesus, and in my experience, I have four kids, like zero times when my wife went into labor, was it a calm moment, all right? Can I get an amen on that one? Um, we, we had, we, I've got a story for every day that that happened, but one of the, one of the times that, that really kind of sticks in my mind is our third child, Brooke, when she, uh, Michael was pregnant with Brooke, it was 1 a.m. in the morning, and uh, Michael woke up in pain, and she woke me up, and she said, Trent, it's time. Now, all the dads in the room, when your wife says it's time, you go into freak out, James Bond, Jason Bourne mode. Give me the car keys, give me the bag. We're, you know, just like a military, you know, captain, you're, you're charging the hill, you're jumping in the car and you're taking off, right? So she's in pain, we jump in the car, I'm in the minivan, out of the neighborhood, right? And we get to the end of the neighborhood, I hit the brakes at the stop sign. Now, if I go right, it's a shorter distance to the hospital, but there's a train track that you've got to cross. If I go left, I hit the interstate and it's longer, but there's no, there, there's no like interference. So when I get in that moment, very distinctly, my wife knows me very well and she says, Trent, don't go right. I don't want to get caught by train. But in my mind, <laughs> I felt like the stars were aligning. The Holy Spirit had empowered me. Like, surely God wasn't gonna send a train the night my daughter Brooke was coming into the world. So I said, we can do it, honey. And I went right. So here I am, I'm going down the hills, around the curves, the minivan is handling it like a champ, by the way. We get to where the, 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 the train tracks are, right? And I can see it in the distance and it is free and clear. And so I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Here we go. I'm gonna look like the man. And then it happened. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. One in the morning, the lights start flashing, the, the arm starts coming down, and immediately I hit the gas. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh! we're gonna make it, honey, you know, and we're going, and she's like, I don't think so, Trent, and here comes the train, and here comes us, you know, and I, I like, I get to the moment, and I like have to hit the brakes, because we're not even close. <laughs> so here's this train coming by, it's one in the morning, my wife's in pain, in tears she looks at me, and she says, I told you so. <laughs> and I said, silent night, holy, you know. I just listen to everything she says now and life is so much simpler. No, that night was not a calm night. 
In fact, anytime you know, there is a pregnancy and a birth, it usually isn't a calm moment. And I, I think for Mary and Joseph, after traveling 90 miles to get there, after, you know, we wanted this wedding, but we're not having this wedding. We wanted, you know, this, this, this dream life, but it, it's not happening, and our family's not here, and we're not, not only are we not in a hospital with nurses, like, we're, we're in a cave, and there's no room for us, and, and this is not a calm moment for them. And then it, the next phrase is, all is bright. And again, I think, man, I don't necessarily think that it was a bright moment in the history of the nation of Israel or in Mary and Joseph's life. Because in the nation of Israel, they were waiting for a Messiah. And in the meantime of waiting for a Messiah, it's been 400 years since God has spoken. So Malachi was the last prophet. The last book of the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi's words. And it's been 400 years since that was finished. They haven't heard from God It didn't seem very hopeful. All wasn't bright. Not to mention the Roman Empire had invaded their country and now they are essentially slaves in their own land. They can't do what they wanna do because the Romans are there. It didn't seem very bright for them. Hope had been diminished. Again, for Mary and Joseph, family's not here. You know, yeah, we, we, we talked to some angels nine months ago And it sounded pretty cool back then, and and, and I'm sure they believed it, but come on, there had to be some doubt there. Like, I think I saw an angel. I think he spoke to me. I think this is the real deal, but I don't know. All didn't seem calm. All didn't seem very bright. And then when Jesus is born, uh, within two years, King Herod declares that he's going to kill every child under two years old. And so they have to flee Jerusalem, then they go to Egypt. So again, it's like all just doesn't get calm and all doesn't seem bright. You would think that, okay, Jesus is here. It's going to get easier. Maybe you have actually thought that or even asked that question to God. I thought when I started coming to church, things were gonna get easier. I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, things were going to get easier. And there are many people that have walked into this room and you've walked into the Christmas season yet again and all is not calm. It's very chaotic in your life. All doesn't feel bright. It actually feels very dark in your life for whatever reasons. But I hope what you see today is that the Christmas story can and will bring a sense of calm to your life. It can and will bring a brightness of hope into your life because God sent his son to the world. And one of the fundamental beliefs of Christianity is that when God is sending his son Jesus into the world, he is sending him as a man, but he doesn't just show up as a man. Jesus actually submits to the process. The creator submits to the process of becoming a man. He was born as a baby who grew up into a boy and that boy one day would later become a man and he would prove that he was the savior of the world because he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And so that no matter what you're experiencing today, all in fact can be calm in your life, all in fact can be bright in your life because no matter how dark it is or how chaotic it is, Jesus was sent to the world. And because he was sent, he actually came and was born to save you from your sins. You see, this is the reason why he came. 
He didn't just show up to be a good teacher. He didn't just show up to be a good moral man and a good model to look at. He actually came for a purpose, and that purpose was to die so that he would save us from our sins because that's what Scripture teaches us. The Scripture teaches us that in order to save us, Jesus had to die. Verse 11 here says, For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the word Christ is actually the Greek word that means the anointed one. And so the Hebrew word for the same concept we translate as Messiah. So the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah is coming to the world to be a savior. And how does he save us? He saves us by dying. And so we get to this point in verses eight and following where these shepherds come onto the scene. And I don't know if you read the Bible and ask questions. I do all the time. I'm curious when I read the Bible and I'm asking, why? What do shepherds have to do? I mean, it makes for a good Christmas pageant play, I guess, when you, when you bring in the, you know, the, 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 the shepherds and there's, there's animals there and stuff. But, but why? But when you know why Jesus actually was born, you start to understand it a little bit better because these shepherds wouldn't have been like the lowest of the low type of people that sometimes were taught shepherds were. Now, in many areas, the shepherds were the, you know, the low uh, income, low status in the community. But, but for these particular shepherds, we believe these shepherds were known to be different because they were caring for the animals that were being prepared for the temple sacrifice. So the lambs, the sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple were raised by these guys right here in Bethlehem on this, in this area. And, and so that's unique because they had to eat a special diet. They had to be perfect in every way, no blemishes, no, no broken bones, no, and no, no anything could be wrong with them. And so these shepherds had to care for them in a very unique way. They were preparing their flock for the temple sacrifice and then they were asked by the angels to visit the ultimate sacrifice. In verse 12, the angel comes to them and says, okay, look, you're going to go find this baby and the sign that you have reached this unique savior is that he'll be laying in a manger, which is a, an animal feeding trough. You don't normally see that. And the second sign was that this baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now for us, in our culture, that doesn't seem unique because you have a baby, the first thing you do is clean them up and then you wrap them in a blanket like a burrito. That's just what we do, right? Seems normal. But for them, a swaddling cloth was actually something very different. Now, let's go back to that time, okay? When you went on a journey, 90 mile journey, let's say, as, as they were on, uh, that, that took days. Sometimes your journey would take weeks or months and so you had to prepare yourself for death. Because the Jewish law said, once a person died, you had 24 hours to bury them to actually follow the law. So what do you do if you're on a journey, you're far from home and somebody, somebody dies? Well, they had, to, they had to figure out a way to deal with this. And, and so the culture developed a swaddling cloth. It was a shroud, it was a thin cloth that they would wrap around them several times. And then as they were on this journey, if someone passes away, they had everything that they needed to actually wrap this person's body and then bury them. That's how they dealt with death. And so the idea for the angel communicating to the shepherds is that you would find this baby wrapped in the death cloth of Joseph. And so the idea and the sign is that you're going to find a baby that is prepared for death. 
Because Jesus was born to save us from our sins. And that salvation is only accomplished because he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Now, when the wise men show up uh, several months later, their gifts begin to make a little bit more sense too. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why myrrh? Well, myrrh was an embalming spice that they would use to prepare a body to be buried. And so again, the sign is that this Jesus represents that he is going to be born for a mission that would require him to die, his burial. And so you read the Bible and you realize that God never told us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's not wrong to do that this week, but he never told us, he never commanded us to do that, but he did command us to remember his death. And so that's why when we look at, okay, Jesus came to the world to be our savior, our attention, and even in the earlier days of why Christmas was even created, was to get our focus and attention on his death. Because his death is so unique that it took your place. Because because God accepts his death as payment for your sin and for my sin. And so when Jesus is dying, he is taking our place. He's taking our punishment. And when he is raising from the grave, he is defeating sin, he is defeating death, giving us victory over sin and death in our own life. And by faith, as we receive him, he gives us salvation. Now, here's what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter five. He says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. Over 2,000 years ago, we weren't even born and God is sending Jesus to die for you. That is love, okay? You, you didn't ask for it, you can't earn it, but he is offering you the gift of salvation today. He's demonstrating his love for you when you don't even know it, when you don't even recognize it. And his death now becoming the payment for our sin as we put our faith and trust in Christ. So all is bright today because Jesus came, the God-man, fully God, fully man, And he came to die for your sins. Now, when we put our faith in him, this is the other reason why things are pretty bright for us because faith in Jesus brings life. When you put your faith in his death, when you put your faith in his resurrection, and then you're giving your life to him and you're living your life for him, he brings you life. Now, in Luke 2, the angel says this, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, right? Some of you read that and you're like, yeah, I know the good news. You've heard the good news and it is good news to you because you've given your life to Jesus and you've experienced the life transformation and the life uh, giving power of this good news. But for some of you in the room, it's not good news, it's old news. I've heard it before, man. I know the Christmas story, I know about Jesus, I know about all that stuff. Sure, I thought there were nine wise men, but whatever, you know. You've heard it all before, but for you, you've lost a sense of awe. You've lost a sense of inspiration by this, not just a story, but the fact that God sent his son to live in his creation and to die in our place. And for you, it's just like this old news. And and the truth is, the story hasn't changed your life. So when we get to the great joy, you haven't really experienced the great joy either. 
Like there are some people in the room, it's good news for you, you've experienced joy in knowing Christ, but, but there's a group of people in the room who would say, it's not really about great joy. For me, it's like a, a great gigantic list of rules. That's what it is, that's what it means, right? I mean, to follow God just means you have to behave a certain way and follow a bunch of rules. And, and for you, you don't even agree with the rules that God puts in, in the Bible, and so you're not even worried about it. But let's just be honest. You're assuming you know what God's rules are. And, and what if your assumption was wrong? What if your assumption about God's rules were so wrong today, and that is the reason that's keeping you from coming to know Christ, because you've never really investigated the truth of Scripture? Sure, you've looked at the guy at work, and the guy at work claims to be a Christian. You know, he goes to church, but he acts the same way as you. He talks the same way as you. So you're like, why would I want to be or, or have what he's got? Like, he's miserable just like me. Like, why? I don't, I, I don't need that. Maybe you're looking at the wrong model. Maybe the right model is Jesus. Perhaps you didn't grow up hearing about this, but, but following Jesus isn't about following a list of rules. It's actually about a relationship. And so for some of you, you grew up in a church or maybe you grew up in an environment where it was just about behavior and it was just about a, a list of do's and don'ts and, and those lists of do's and don'ts, if you didn't do that, you didn't feel like you were gonna have great joy. You thought it was gonna be a killjoy in your life. So you thought, I don't wanna live that life. Those rules don't look fun. And the reality is it's kept you from knowing and putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. And maybe you've never heard this before, but following Jesus is a life-giving relationship. It's something that you develop and grow. It's something that you do enjoy. It's something that does bring great joy to your spirit and to your life. That's why Jesus says this in John 10, 10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's not coming to bring a, a giant list of rules to make us miserable. He's coming to give you life. Life to the fullest. Now, why would he bring life to the fullest or why would he offer that to you? And the reason is because you're not experiencing life to the fullest. In fact, without Jesus, you're, you're not even able to experience life to the fullest. You cannot live life to the fullest until you connect to the creator who loves you and made you and has a purpose for your life. Only God can tell you what that purpose is. Only God can bring that life to the fullest into your life. And what I have found is that most people aren't really living. Most people are just existing. They get up, they go to work, they go home, watch a little TV, you know, go to bed, maybe some parties and some things on the weekends. If you have kids, you're really busy and all that activity makes you feel like you're living, but really it's, it's, it's very draining. Most people aren't really living, they're just existing. Even people that regularly go to church seem to just be existing because they walk into church week after week and they leave unchanged, not fulfilled. Why? They, they don't apply the word to their life and therefore it's a very empty way of living. You see, life to the fullest means at least three things. The first thing it means that, is that God truly wants to give you a brand new life. 
The Bible says that when you come to faith in Christ, the old Trent, the old man dies and, and the new Trent is reborn. So you've probably heard people say, yeah, I'm a born again Christian. And that's not like some weird reincarnation thing. That's actually the symbolicness of, of, of the fact that I was dead in my sins and when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, he gives me life. The spirit of God now comes to live within me and I'm a brand new person. And in that brand new person, he is forgiving me of all my sin. That's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has actually come. And so the old Trent died. I'm a new creation. So this is where that idea of being reborn, that means every sin I've ever committed has been forgiven in my past. I'm, I, he gives me a brand new slate. Every sin that I'm gonna commit today, he's already forgiven. Every sin I'm gonna commit in my future, he's already forgiven. And, and God looks at me, and, and the scripture uses a word that we call justification, and it just simply means that God as judge declares me not guilty. Not because I earned it, not because I'm any better, but simply because of faith in Jesus. The second thing that life to the fullest means is that he gives you purpose. And so living this life is a life that, that God brings meaning and significance to us. You're not made just to survive. You're not made just to get by. You are made for God's mission. You are made for more than just climbing the ladder of success, making some money, getting married, and having some kids. Life is way more deep than that. It, it, it's way more significant than that. And the way that we experience that significance is when we begin to live on mission for God and we begin to add value to other people's lives around us because of what he's done in our own life. Finally, life to the fullest means eternal life so that faith in Christ gives us the assurance and the promise that when we die from this world, we will spend an eternity in heaven with God forever. That's the promise, that's the hope, right? But here's the problem. Until you have Jesus, you don't really understand what it feels like to truly be alive. So many people can live their entire life without peace, without hope, without any real sense of meaning in their life. They can live their life with, 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 with stress and anxiety and fear and fatigue, all this tension in their life and they begin to think that this is normal. Everybody just lives like this. And the reality is, no, they don't. When you are a follower of Jesus, in the, sin, in the season of chaos, he's an anchor that brings a sense of calmness to your heart and to your life. In, in a season of, of grief, there is still great joy. There is still an element of hope. And so all yes is bright in your life. Even in dark seasons, it's bright because Jesus has changed your life. And everything that we go through, he works out for our good and his glory. And our eternal home is in heaven. We are not living for this world. We are living for the world to come. But to experience this life, you've got to admit that you are separated from God by your sin. You've got to make Jesus the authority of your life. In other words, you make him the, the Lord of your life. You make him the one who you are living for. You recognize that God loves you. He's got a plan for you and you start to develop and understand what that plan actually is. It's just coming to God and confessing that you've messed up, that you're a sinner, 
and you submit your life to Jesus. Sounds easy, right? This is the gift. This is, this is the offering that, that God gives to every single person here today. When I was in Bethlehem a few years ago, we went to this place where they believe that Jesus was actually born. They don't know, but um, they, it was kind of uh, des- described in the Bible, kind of outside the city lines. And so it was this cave in this area and uh, ancient tradition kind of just lend itself to, hey, this is where they thought Jesus was born. And so they built a church over it. <laughs> and um, they call it the Church of the Nativity. They claim to be the oldest church in the world. I don't know, but that's what they claim. And when we went to this church, you, you had to walk through the front door and the front door is about that wide, but it was about that tall. <laughs> and so when you open the door to get into the church, everybody has to bow down to, to walk into the building. And the reason why they do this, and they call it the door of humility, is because they wanted to symbolize that when you come to Jesus, everybody comes in the same way. Our guide there said that I've seen kings and queens and presidents of nations all over the world come visit this place. And every single one of them has to enter the same way. They have to bow before the Lord. And essentially that's what everyone will have to do if in fact you wanna receive God's forgiveness and receive Jesus into your life for salvation. Like you've gotta walk through the door of humility. You've gotta gotta realize that you can't save yourself. You can't fix your own sin problem. You've gotta humble yourself before Jesus and admit that you're a sinner and put your faith and trust in him. And maybe today you've never done that. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. And it's real simple. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how it happens. Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So it's, it's this matter of confessing and believing. Confessing with your mouth, right? So it's actually saying and telling somebody, I've, I've done this. You know, so often we kind of say something in our mind and then we walk out and we leave unchanged and, and we, we wonder if that really took. And, and so part of the step is confessing with our mouth. Yes, that, that I believe in Jesus and, and, and I'm believing him with my heart and I'm confessing that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Right? And I'm turning my life away from sin and now I am giving authority to Jesus. That's, that's really what it means. And some of you in the room, maybe you haven't done that. And uh, I wanna give you the chance to do that today. And so I just wanna ask you to bow your heads and just ask that no one leaves right now. We're gonna close today with silent night. We're gonna close with communion to celebrate the broken body of Jesus, to celebrate the, the blood that was poured out for our sin. And I just wanna give that chance, that opportunity today for that man, that woman, that student, who would say, I've never given my life to Jesus and today I wanna do that. Just simply make this prayer your prayer. That's not a magical prayer, but it's a a practice that would help you take this step. Just simply say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's your son, that he died on the cross for our sins, for my sin, and he rose from the grave. I confess that I'm a sinner Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Save me today. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.